This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Alexander Lukashenko, Belarus's president, confirmed that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner mercenary group, had arrived in his country. Mr. Lukashenko, who helped put an end to the short-lived Wagner mutiny, said that its fighters could provide his country with new knowledge about weapons and tactics. Meanwhile, President Vladimir Putin said that Russia had paid Wagner $1 billion in the past year alone. On Monday, Mr. Putin offered the group's rank and file the choice between signing contracts with Russia's defense ministry, going home, or joining Mr. Prigozhin in Belarus. America slapped sanctions on several firms owned by or affiliated with Mr. Prigozhin. Two are companies in the Central African Republic that, according to the Treasury Department, financed Wagner's operations there and elsewhere. A Russian citizen who works for Wagner in Mali was also placed under sanctions. Speaking at the World Economic Forum, Li Qiang, China's prime minister, criticized the efforts of, quote, some in the West to de-risk their economic ties with his country. Instead, Mr. Li argued that economies should, quote, develop together. After Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Europe in particular has become more cautious about its economic dependence on other geopolitical rivals, especially China. Russian missiles struck a crowded restaurant and shopping area in Kramatorsk, a city in eastern Ukraine. At least four people were killed and dozens injured. Earlier, the UN said in a report that Russian forces executed 77 Ukrainian civilians between the beginning of the war and May this year, and that 864 Ukrainians were arbitrarily detained by Russian troops. Ukrainian forces held 75 people unlawfully. Sierra Leone's president, Julius Marabio, won a second term, a result disputed by the country's opposition party. The election itself on Saturday was mostly peaceful, but on Sunday, opposition officials accused the country's security forces of shooting ammunition and tear gas into their headquarters. Monitors from the Carter Center, an NGO, expressed concerns over the vote tally, citing broken seals on ballot boxes. Senior doctors in England voted in favor of two-day strike action beginning on July 20th. The country's junior doctors will also strike for five days in July, the longest single walkout in the history of the National Health Service. Earlier, nurses in England did not renew a mandate which would allow them to continue industrial action. NHS staff have suffered a decade of real-terms pay cuts. The EU agreed on tighter capital rules for banks ahead of other major jurisdictions such as Britain and America. The new regulations, which are part of the globally agreed Basel III reforms, include limiting banks' use of their own internal models to calculate capital buffers. New safeguards are also designed to mitigate risks from the cryptocurrency sector. And figure of the day, 85%, the proportion of the world's opium that was produced in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Wagner's revolt spooks the Russian economy. The aborted mutiny of the Wagner mercenary group on June 24th temporarily shook the foundations of the world's 11th largest economy. The ruple fell sharply before edging up again. The share prices of several of Russia's largest companies wobbled. A slew of economic data released on Wednesday, including on retail sales and industrial production, will not yet reflect the turmoil of recent days. 
but the future looks more uncertain than it did before. For now, many of Russia's respected technocrats, including those leading the central bank and the economy ministry, remain in charge. That rules out any madcap policies, such as money printing. But Wagner's revolt has brought the conflict with Ukraine home in a way that a war on foreign soil never could, damaging consumer and business confidence. Russia still looks likely to avoid recession. The latest data puts year-on-year growth at around 1.5%. Yet if there is more instability, that could change quickly. America's Stressed-Out Banks Having just been through a real crisis, America's banks now face a hypothetical one. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will publish the results of its annual stress tests, designed to see how lenders would fare in dire economic circumstances. This year, it subjected them to some of its toughest scenarios yet, including a 38% plunge in housing prices. Analysts think the test will show that big banks are well-capitalized, allowing them to return cash to shareholders through stock buybacks. But the stress tests have themselves been tested recently and found wanting. The Fed failed to include sharply higher interest rates as a potential problem last year. Markets had little forewarning that rates, not an economic slowdown, could spark a regional bank meltdown, as they did in March, leading to the failure of First Republic and other lenders. This year's test, which began before that tumult, also excludes pressure from higher rates. The Fed, unlike the rest of America, would benefit from extra stress. NATO and the Baltic States On Wednesday, Jens Stoltenberg, NATO's Secretary General, will greet Kaya Kala, Estonia's Prime Minister, at the Alliance's headquarters in Brussels. They will discuss NATO's renewed effort to bolster its eastern flank in the wake of Russia's war in Ukraine. The bloc has recently taken several steps in this direction. On Monday, Mr. Stoltenberg traveled to Lithuania to observe Exercise Griffin Storm, a NATO exercise, with Boris Pistorius, the German defense minister. While there, Mr. Pistorius announced that Germany would sanction a brigade permanently in Lithuania, provided the Baltic state supplies the required infrastructure for around 4,000 soldiers. The decision, which Germany had been previously reluctant to make, was warmly welcomed by Gitanis Naseda, Lithuania's president. Estonia already has warplanes and troops from other NATO countries on the ground. More could now follow. The next, much-heralded summit of the alliance will be held in Villeneuve, the capital of Lithuania, starting on July 11th. Italy hopes inflation has passed its peak. Economists will want confirmation that Italy's inflation has settled on its downward trajectory on Wednesday, when the provisional figure for June is released. The hope is that the data will continue the trend seen in May, when prices rose at an annual rate of 7.6%, down from 8.2% in April, though the latter was a jump from 7.6% in March. 
The underlying signs are good. Core inflation, which excludes energy and fresh food, fell in April despite the headline increase. That same month, Italy's Producer Price Index, which measures the cost of goods leaving factories, went negative for the first time since 2021. Inflation is a sensitive issue in the country. Giorgia Maloney's government has been complaining for months about the European Central Bank's efforts to dampen price rises by ratcheting up borrowing costs. Higher interest rates both throttle economic growth and make it more costly for Italy to service its huge, though shrinking, public debt of more than 140% of GDP. Potter Pavlensky's Pornopolitique in Court On Wednesday, a court in Paris will rule on whether a Russian performance artist, Potter Pavlensky, and his partner, Alexandra de Tadeo, breached privacy laws in a French sexting case. Benjamin Griveaux, a former government minister, who abandoned his political career after Mr. Pavlensky posted online two private sex videos he had made. Griveaux had sent them to Miss de Tadeo during a brief liaison. She later started a relationship with Mr. Pavlensky. The French usually believe that the public interest stops firmly at the bedroom door. Mr. Pavlensky, who once nailed his scrotum to the ground in Moscow's Red Square, a metaphor for society's apathy, political indifference, and fatalism, he later said, and was granted asylum in France. After being accused of sexual assault, judges this attitude to private life hypocritical when it concerns politicians. He, quote, stole the videos from Miss de Tadeo's phone, he said, as part of an art project he called Porno Politique. Mr. Graveau's lawyer called it revenge porn. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Wednesday. Martha Corey, Alice Parker, and Anne Pudator were among those executed for which crime in Salem in 1692? Tuesday. Which slogan devised by James Carville was designed to keep the Clinton presidential campaign focused on bread and butter issues? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was born on this day in 1712. Happiness, a good bank account, a good cook, and a good digestion. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.